Welcome to Anything But Silent, with me, Cleo Laskarin. To start this episode, I thought we would take a brief dip into the relaxing waves of Shale Bay on the Isle of Wight, a recording recently shared by the British Library Sound Archive team to bring a little comfort to those unable to visit the coast at the moment. While our buildings may be closed, the British Library is open to everyone online, and the sound section of the website is a really wonderful place to get lost in recordings of nature, oral histories, music, and literature from all over the world. And so, from the archives to the present day, in this podcast, I want to do something slightly different to normal and take a look at how libraries are responding to the current crisis. Because from online storytime and ebooks to all sorts of community projects, libraries have been incredibly resourceful in the ways they've managed to adapt. Over the past few weeks, services have seen dramatic surges in digital membership and borrowing. SILIP, the UK's Library and Information Association, for example, launched the National Shelf Service, a daily YouTube post featuring book recommendations from professional librarians. And many local libraries and librarians have followed suit, engaging their readers via social media, remote broadcasts, and blogs, while continuing to fulfill research requests and run groups, rhyme times, code clubs, and more online. In short, libraries all over the world are doing their bit to help keep us going while we're stuck at home. But over the past few months, it's become clear that some of our library services might be able to do much more to assist in the fight against COVID-19. My name is Andy Appleyard, and I'm Head of Operations North of the British Library. One of Andy's main roles is to oversee the British Library's on-demand service. This gives researchers and organizations remote access to our extensive collection by sharing digital copies of journals, book chapters, that sort of thing. To do this, it helps to be on site, where you can grab material, digitize it, and send it out. But as lockdown approached, Andy realized that they were going to have to adapt. So when Corona came along and we realized that potentially we may be excluded from site, we very quickly tried to strip the service back to a skeleton number of staff, but then we realized inevitably that we had to vacate the site completely. As we met remotely through Zoom calls and Skype, we noticed actually that many of the customers who were continuing to access our digital collections were from health-based organizations NHS England, NICE, Public Health England. And then when we actually analysed the items that were being requested, we then realised that many of the research articles appeared to be in the support of COVID-19 research. That's when we realised the importance and the significance of what we're doing. As demand increased, it became apparent that from home, the team no longer had easy access to all of the items that were being requested. So, aware they needed to act as fast as possible, the British Library joined forces with the publishers directly to enable online access to a much wider range of materials. Normally, the, the service is run by a team of around 15 staff uh, who are on site and have, got, and have got the hands on all the necessary equipment and access to systems. But given the importance and given the level of priority that we attach to this, um, we were able to, with the help of technology, to get the permissions for the very few staff who had access to British Library equipment. So that essentially was um, Joe Cox and her partner Mike and one or two managers. 
Uh, we are both sat at our kitchen table at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Here are Joe and Mike. They're currently sitting at their kitchen table come office, a work setup they adopted as the country went into lockdown. Yes, that's right. Two co-workers locking down together. Because they're not just colleagues, they're a real-life library love story. We met at the library 25 years ago. We worked in the same department, yep. which was the old serial records department. And that's when we started going out. Because she went round and put all... On my birthday, <laughs> you went and changed all the screensavers to say, Happy birthday, Joanne, and all the screensavers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been there together ever since. Yes, yes. We're very much used to working together. We're very much used to going into work together, coming home together. Luckily, or else we could have driven each other mad by now. <laughs> Obviously, all our print collections that are actually in the library um, we're unable to access anymore. So when, when this first happened, it was a bit of a panic. The only articles that we could actually supply were from what we call immediate download, which is where the customer requests something, we have it electronically, and the system just delivers it. But we could see that things were coming in from the NHS, so we started, well, there was a group of us that sort of started looking to see how we could improve that service. The way it works at the moment is Mike is sat in his office in the living room on a laptop and he's remoting his, his remote desktop into his actual PC in the library. And what that, that allows him to do is actually go on to things like publish the websites and look at third-party material and then we can make sure that we're supplying to those customers. So we've got a system where we can identify the requests that are coming in from NICE, Public Health England, NHS or, and, and anything that's sort of COVID-19 related and then Mike can go in and get them. I'm sure over the years, Joe and Mike's kitchen table has played witness to the usual ups and downs of domestic life. Raucous dinner parties, family quarrels, spag bowl spills. But now, from the same table, they're assisting potentially life-saving research. I wondered if they ever felt overwhelmed at the task at hand. Sometimes you are, you're sat there thinking, well, you're doing your job. If you do think about it, you're thinking, well, we are the only two people doing this. You know, if you overthink it, yeah. it's yeah. a bit, uh, yeah, might feel a bit more pressurised. I think when you see, like, some of the articles and what, what we're sending out, you realise how important it is. You do get an idea of, kind of, what's happening out there when you see a lot of the subject matter that's been requested. Because it's, it's not just about COVID-19, it's about the after effects and what goes on around it as well. You're bound to sometimes just sit there and think, oh, this is just getting a bit not fed up. But you're just thinking, oh, just, it's, just, it's like plodding on. But then you do, you do see what you're getting requests for and you think, yeah, well, somebody needs that information. So you, yeah, quick, you can get that out to somebody the better. Yeah. To Joe, Mike, and Andy. It's great to hear that so much can be done from a kitchen table not too far from Boston Spa. And a library love story that started with changing the screensavers. Smooth moves, Mike. While document supply services are critical to the work of those in the medical field at this time, there are all sorts of other things libraries are doing for their communities. Later, we'll also be hearing from the British Library's Business and IP Centre, who are working hard to help companies through this time. 
But further afield, in my homeland, Canada, our friends at Toronto Public Library have found themselves working completely outside of their usual remit, exchanging books for a different type of sustenance. We caught up with their Director of Service, Development and Innovation, Pam Ryan. Toronto Public Library is the world's largest urban public library system. We have 100 branches, so we have a very large footprint of physical space, and we are in every neighborhood in this city. On Friday the 13th of March was when the decision was made to close all Toronto Public Libraries as part of the city's response to help contain the impact of the pandemic. As part of that, the city set up a number of emergency planning tables and the library is involved in a number of those. One of them is the city's Food Access Coordination Support Group. It was identified very early on that the food banks and food security was key priority of the city and at risk. A number of the existing food banks had to close for numerous reasons, not the least of which their primary volunteers are seniors and seniors being the most vulnerable community, really, they had to stop volunteering. And so very quickly, over a third of the city's food banks closed. The city stepped in to find new options for meeting that community need and increased community need because of the number of people who very quickly lost jobs. We're at the table and our city librarian, Vickery Bowles, when we were sitting participating in one of the calls, it was identified that, you know, space was an issue. A number of the neighborhoods that were most at risk were mentioned. And, you know, she just offered without even thinking about it. <laughs> well, we have space, the library has space. We're in all those neighborhoods, we could help this. We have staff who we bet would volunteer if we put out a call to help support this. We didn't have a model at all in mind, just we had space, we had staff, and we were in those communities. There's three food bank operations uh, in Toronto. They are the North York Harvest, the Daily Bread Food Bank, and Second Harvest. And they are pros. I mean, we have learned so much and we are following their practices, their guidelines. They provide all of the food. They do all of the pickup and delivery. We first started thinking that we could do all the hamper packing and customer service, giving out the hampers from branches. And then when we realized we needed to scale up, it made much more sense to do the hamper packing centrally and have all the food delivered to one place. One of our staff members who's been involved in the logistics suggested that we use our book distribution warehouse because it is a big, big warehouse. They had to clear out a whole bunch of books and boxes because as you can imagine, that stuff just keeps coming in. We, uh, we are a very giant library system, but they uh, cleared the space and they now have our book warehouse set up as a food hamper production facility where skids and skids of food get dropped off and packed hampers get picked up and delivered to the 11 branches. And it's expanded as well. The city has since developed a new partnership with the Red Cross who's overseeing the delivery of food hampers direct to shut-in seniors. So we're packing hampers for that initiative as well. 
We uh, weren't certain what the response was, but we were not surprised by what the response was. So we've done now three calls for volunteers from our staff. The operation is completely staff volunteer supported. Each time we've put out a call because we've expanded the number of branches or the capacity we would need for our centralized packing, we've received you know double what we need for volunteers within an hour of putting the call out. It's just been lovely. Our staff are amazing. So in terms of the stats, I can actually pull up immediately what they are this morning. So we have been doing this since the week of March 25th. As of tomorrow, we'll be opening our 11th library location. And each location is only open one or two days a week for a couple of hours for the clients to come in and pick up food. So as of today, we have created almost 3,600 hampers. That is over 2,300 households served, and we're looking upwards of 5,700 individuals in those households. Starting yesterday, we've actually started handing out free books. So we have a a vast supply of books that we purchase to provide for, you know, prizes or for different library programs where we give them out. And we have started to provide those to people who come to food banks and libraries. We have books for kids, you know, from birth to 12, and we'll be handing those out along with a little bit of information about the library and what's uh, accessible online while we're closed. You know, in all of this, we have many, many library services that are still continuing, you know, our online collections, all of those things and the way we're providing service online is great. But the way that we have been able to pivot to provide food banks, what the city has identified as one of the most crucial needs in the city during this emergency time and how our staff have stepped up to make that happen has just been fantastic and just so incredibly proud of our staff and the support that they give our city every day. But in this particular case, it's just been fantastic. You know, it's quite the thing to come out and gather up that food. And it's nice to be able to provide a little bit of a little bit of sunshine with uh, providing some some books to people as well. We've had lots of great feedback from staff about how thankful they are that they've had this opportunity to provide this back to the community. You know, we always say that the best thing a library can be is open. So when they're closed, it's heartbreaking for library staff. Being able to have a, an outlet to keep giving back to the community has been great. Pam Ryan, speaking with us from Toronto Public Library. To think that such a huge impact has been made to support vulnerable people in the city is really quite something, especially when it's an initiative run almost entirely by library volunteers. To read more about these food banks, you can visit their website, but I'd also suggest looking at some of the local newspaper articles online, where you'll find photos of the main food packing hub, showing just how professional an operation it has transformed into being. And it's a sentiment that's been expressed by many over the past few weeks. But I really hope that this reawakened sense of community spirit is something we can all take forward in life after the pandemic. In the final part of the episode today and closer to home, I wanted to check in with our Business and IP Centre. 
At the British Library, we're connected to a wide community of business owners through initiatives such as the Innovating for Growth program, a scheme that helps small businesses scale up and grow. The BIPC team have made huge changes to pivot and support entrepreneurs at this incredibly tricky time, from navigating employee retention schemes to running webinars and remote working advice. They were keen to share a story from one of their Innovating for Growth alumni, a business that has adapted by reapplying their skills. My name is Sabine Amodisem. I'm a wedding dress designer and we have been dressing brides since 2005 in chic dresses, fashion forward dresses. Uh, we've recently opened our own boutique on Upper Street in Islington and brides are really loving it. I've been designing wedding dresses for about 15 years but it wasn't something that I, I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. It all started when a couple of my best friends were getting married and they just couldn't find anything that was simple, elegant, slinky, sexy. So I said, don't worry, I'll design dresses for you, It'll be my gift to you. And just a few gifts later, I suddenly thought, hang on a minute. <laughs> that's how it all started. As Sabina branched out from her immediate group of friends, the business started to form quickly making a mark on the bridal scene. Her stunning work made it onto the covers of glossy magazines and even the bodies of a few celebrities. But as the operation grew, so did the complexity, and Sabina quickly became keen to find external support. And that's when she got involved with the Business and IP Centre at the British Library. When you're starting your own business, it can be very, very, very lonely. And so you're doing a lot of things by yourself. You have to wear lots of different hats, so you have to be the accountant. You've got to be the marketing director and you've got to be the designer and you've got to be good at all of these things. And then eventually when you've got enough cash, you can get people that are better than you at some of these things. But at the beginning, you have to do everything yourself. So I knew that the one thing that will really help pull me through would be to meet other people that are already doing it. That led me to the Business and RP Centre. They were running all these inspiring entrepreneur talks and um, I made sure I went to every single one of those and started meeting lots of like-minded people. Following on from that, I discovered all about the Innovating for Growth programme. And I was very lucky enough to be accepted on that. And that was life-changing for me. Having that sort of objective view from mentors was amazing. We went from a few stockists to several stockists and We've got brides all over the world now who've worn our dresses. Riding high on her success at the start of this year and propelled by the opening of her first physical store, it would have been hard to imagine how dramatically things would change. At the end of March, Sabina's business, like many others on the high street, was forced to close its doors to the public. In fact, on the first day of lockdown, Sabina had been due to shoot her debut vegan and sustainable range, which for her made it all the more deflating. I think I was in denial at the beginning and then it started dawning on me that this is going to be for several months. Everyone's affected, everyone's in the same boat. And a lot of my brides, they've all had to postpone their weddings. Sabina found herself counselling her clients, giving support to those suffering from the shock of having their big day put on hold. But as acceptance of the situation set in, she made the decision to enter a mode of forward planning. Dresses already in production could be completed by seamstresses at home, and designers could continue to work on the next collection. Recently, virtual appointments have also started to bounce back, 
as brides have begun to get excited about a more jubilant 2021. But right from the beginning, a thought occurred to Sabina that maybe she and the team could help in a different way. I saw an initiative called Scrub Hub that was set up by Annabelle Maguire on the first day of lockdown when a local doctor in Hackney was desperately looking for some scrubs. And I noticed that no one was really covering the Islington area and all my pattern cutters and lovely machinists and seamstresses were really keen to want to give back and do something. And I thought, well, this is a really good way of using our time and our expertise in a way that could help people that really need it. So that we've swapped stitching wedding dresses in silk to stitching scrubs in polycotton. Starting as part of an existing group, Sabina quickly went on to open her own scrub hub, enrolling over 20 pattern cutters and seamstresses and a small army of volunteers to help with deliveries. We set up a GoFundMe page. We've managed to raise over 5,000, and that's paid for all our materials. And um, so far, through our own Islington hub, we have now delivered over 200 scrubs and we are on course to be delivering close to a thousand scrubs in the next couple of weeks and uh, our scrubs are made in a nice coral pink for our doctors <laughs> doing it for about four weeks now I'm meeting all sorts of wonderful people that I would never have normally have met in my real life and my paths have crossed there's a an amazing a magician entertainer who can't entertain anymore, who's doing lots of deliveries for pharmacies and the Visor Army and is doing some of my logistics to local medical health centres. And, and then also my other half has become quite familiar with the drill of pressing a doorbell and then standing back for the social distancing and flinging a bag <laughs> to the guy who answers the door. That's been quite amazing. <laughs> So from silk dresses to medical scrubs, the efforts of Sabina's team are really commendable. And this spirit of helping the NHS is echoing around the business community in all sorts of ways. Although Sabina's keeping busy, she didn't shy away from the fact that it's an incredibly tough time for businesses right now, with many not sure how they'll survive through the coming months. Asking if she had any advice for others, she stressed there's still opportunity to use this time to prepare for a brighter future. This is a really good time to be looking at digital marketing. So we're taking some time to write some inspiring blogs. It's really good for SEO. And um, keeping up with all the socials, Pinterest is really good for us, and Instagram. I think the Business and IP Centre is a really great place to start. It's got already quite a large community of other businesses that are also facing similar problems, which can be very reassuring for other businesses. So as soon as you start talking to other people going through the same sort of thing that you're going through, it feels a lot more reassuring. And uh, there are things like the Innovative for Growth programme, there's a, an alumni of other businesses and the Business and IP Centre, they have a website where there's lots of other things going on there and events. There's lots of webinars and things like that to register for, they've been really helpful. It's not for very long and there will be a time when we come out of this the other end. Hopefully we'll be a lot more conscious about the kind of consumer decisions that we make. Hopefully we'll be more sustainable and we'll hopefully be a world we'll be a lot more kinder to one another. <laughs>
Motisem and her wonderful team of dressmakers. I have to say I echo her thoughts, and I hope this period in time can teach us and the business world to treat each other a little more kindly, build networks, and share in our successes. If you're interested in reading more about Scrubhub, you can visit scrubhub.org.uk. Sabina mentioned the Business and IP Centre, so before we finish, I want to quickly hand the mic to Julie Simkin, a relationship manager from the Centre, to give us an update. COVID-19 has changed the way everybody works, and that includes us. It's a difficult time for businesses at the moment. Whatever stage you're at, we are here to help offering whatever support we can to help businesses navigate through this new landscape. The British Library is shut, but we have a programme of workshops that have been transformed into webinars, one-to-one -one advice sessions that are now given using Zoom or Skype, a toolkit put together by experts to help you find whatever you need to know and all in one place. If you apply to join our Innovating for Growth Scale-Up programme and are approved, you will receive £10,000 worth of advice. This is free to you, the business owner, because it is funded equally between the European Regional Development Fund and the British Library. You do need to meet the criteria, that is to be a London business, turn over more than 100k a year and have a new idea on how you want to scale up your business. If you meet this criteria, take a look at our website, bl.uk forward slash grow, as applications are now open. If you're not there yet, don't worry. There is also an Innovating for Growth startup program, a mentoring program, and plenty more resources and support that you can receive at the Business and IP Centre. We're here for you online until we can once again say hello in person. Julie Simkin from the Business and IP Centre. And as she said, to find out more about the Innovating for Growth programs and other free resources available to business owners, you can visit the BIPC pages on the British Library website. I think it's safe to say that companies like Sabina's won't go unnoticed as they continue to support the NHS in the coming months. Hopefully they'll be remembered even more warmly as the wedding season reopens in full celebration next year. And before we finish our episode today, I also want to make a shout out to places like the Manchester Central Library, who, like Toronto and many others here in the UK, have joined PPE efforts by using their 3D printers to produce protective headgear for the local health and social care workers. Those are being distributed as part of the SHIELD NHS initiative. These months in lockdown have been hard, but in light of that, it's also been a time of incredible innovation and grit. It's astounding to see the resources, brainpower, and community-spirited endeavor of libraries and their wider communities, pivoting to help in the pandemic response. That's it for this episode. Thanks again to Andy, Joe, Mike, and Pam, and indeed everyone involved over the past few months as we have sadly come to the end of our first series. I've loved meeting such incredible people, from young authors to crime-solving librarians. It's clearly not just the stories in books which make the libraries we visited so special. I've seen countless examples of the surprising lengths that people go to to preserve and create libraries, even in the most challenging of circumstances. With everything from magic, ghosts, and roller derby to outer space and love stories, the libraries we've visited have never failed to delight and entertain me. And hopefully, you too. But don't worry, the British Library will be back with more podcasts later this year, including an exciting series called Unfinished Business, exploring the past, present, and future of women's rights to accompany our exhibition of the same name, opening this autumn. 
I've been working on the exhibition itself behind the scenes, and I know there are loads of exciting people involved, including our curator, Polly Russell, and the likes of Jamila Jamel. But until then, remember, the British Library, like many libraries around the world, is free and is open to everyone. You can explore our collection online at bl.uk, and we hope to be able to invite you back into our buildings very soon. Anything But Silent is a Pixiu production. Until we return, stay safe, and thank you for listening.